0: Going into week one, I thought the Pac-12 had an opportunity to elevate its brand nationally as a football conference. Yeah, that did not happen. In fact, it went in the other direction. So how bad was it? Let's go.
1: Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12 I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Big thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. We are approaching that lovely number of an even 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. A big thank you to everybody out there for supporting the show. And a big thank you to Carter Baines, senior editor and writer at at beaverblitz.com, who's uh, a fan of one of the few teams that actually had a good weekend in the Pac-12. There were a couple. Uh, there were just some uh, low lights uh, as well, but we're always glad to have him on the show. Carter, we were waiting so, so long for that first glorious weekend. It was finally there. It took place, and then by the end of it, Pac-12 is looking around going, well, that was pretty good, and that was all right, but overall, I feel like I just got punched in the gut a couple times
1: couple of opportunities to make a statement against the SEC. I I think in one of them, a statement by two touchdowns instead of six or seven. And the other one would have been to win. And unfortunately for the conference, neither of those things happened. (laughs) Yeah. George
0: Klyovkov has to be looking around and going, guys, cut... Come on, you got it. You got to give me some one job. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you had one job. It's like that scene in Ocean's Eleven when they introduced Basher, Don Cheadle's character. He's like, you tosses. You had one job to do. Let's start with Utah, who had one job to do. I thought they were going to win. I thought they were the better team, and, and they looked like it. A goal line stand ended up being the difference at, at the end. And Utah, of course, throwing the interception in the end zone. It's a game they very easily could have won. But I'm surprised it was as close as it was. And going into it, the way I saw it was the Pac-12's got to have this one. You can't send your conference champion down to a reigning six and seven team with a new coaching staff, which is Oregon learned can get away from you pretty quickly. We'll get to that here in uh, in a few minutes. But they go down to Florida. Yes, it's a tough environment. Yes, it's still a respectable SEC team. They went six and six a year ago, but. Your conference champions got to be able to win that game, frankly, by, by 10 or more points. I, I thought they would. And Florida, to their credit, with Anthony Richardson, hung around and got it done. But I thought the Utes showed some moments and flashes offensively where they look like the team we expect them to be. I think they, they will show that once they get into conference play in the Pac-12. But the defense, at the end of the day, Carter, just could not get off the field when they needed to. And that's a crushing loss for the Pac-12. This
1: was a game that I really, really wanted to watch a bunch of. But unfortunately, I was on the road to Corvallis and getting set up uh, for Oregon State, Boise State during most of it. I did see the final reception in the end zone, the goal line stand. And I thought, man, that's a game that Utah, at the very least, is going to overtime in it's got a shot to win it there at the end. And unfortunately Florida just makes the play at the end and in a three point game in a tough environment between two, it always just does come down to who makes the plays and and Florida came away with that takeaway there at the end. I think if Utah plays conservative, just runs the ball, tries to, to push it in, you know, at the very least it's scoring an easy field goal, sending it to, time and then you know all bets are off at, at that point one that I think Utah had um and unfortunately just just didn't come up with I will say that environment going down to the swamp in early September it was always going to be more humid than Utah was ever going to be prepared for it was going to feel a lot hotter than it does it's an SEC team that Utah obviously doesn't play a bunch of being in the Pac12 and I think it was a matchup that was always going to cause a lot of problems, but it was one that I expected Utah had enough to win.
0: That's, that's how I felt too. And look for a conference that is dealing with speculation about realignment and whether or not it will even be able to survive going into uh, the future. It, it's just a situation where fans are going to look at that game and say, Psh, look, the Pac twelve, and they're right, by the way. I'm not saying this is unjustified, but the reaction for people who, you know, follow college football or even ones who are just kind of more casual fans about it, just from the outset, you look and go, wait, the, the reigning Pac twelve champs that a year ago went toe to toe to Ohio State have more preseason expectations than they've ever had as a program. Top ten nationally, you're telling me they can't beat a Florida team out of the SEC that that's off a six and six season? Like that's just reputationally bad and it was a close competitive game to be sure but even the fact that it was and the odds makers thought it would be and they were correct even the fact that it was is enough for people to continue to elevate the narrative and again there's a lot of legitimacy there as we'll get to with Oregon and Georgia that the Pac-12 is just not even close to these other conferences I mean your conference champion can't go in and beat a team in the middle of the road I mean other conferences. Think about, like, literally any other conference, right? Who's the class of of, of a particular conference right now? Let's say uh, the, the Big 12. It's probably Oklahoma, right? Coming yeah. off, like, Lincoln Riley, no Lincoln Riley. It's probably Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Does anyone think that Oklahoma would go into a middling Big Ten team like Wisconsin and, and lose or uh, Minnesota or, heck, that Florida game, right? And, and Florida showed some really good things, that they're clearly a more well-coached team, and maybe they'll end up having a great season. But that's just one that, for people who are not going to look at the details and give it every little bit of context, like we will hear on the show for those of us who follow it really closely, it's just a horrible, horrible optical look for the Pac-12 where your champion can't beat an average SEC team.
1: Look, the Pac-12's goal right now, its it's main primary goal, and and George Klyovkov has said this, is to get back to the college football playoff. It's to have a contender that at the end of the season is one of the top four teams in college football. Here we are after one week. It's possible that USC will be the highest-ranked Pac-12 team when the AP poll comes out. And, you know, I mean... Utah probably shouldn't slide seven spots and USC shouldn't go up seven spots, but the aggregate of what happened in those two games, you could see USC jump Utah. USC has so much to prove that if we're talking about, you know, the second week of the season, USC is all of a sudden the PAC 12s primary candidate to go to the, the yeah. college football playoff. I mean, you can't bank on that. You can't even remotely bank on that. And and Utah now is, is fighting an uphill battle where it's probably going to have to go undefeated in Pac-12 play. It's probably going to have to finish the season 11-1 and one if it's going to make the college football playoff. And at the end of the season, when the committee is going head-to-head and saying, all right, well, do we let in a one-loss Pac-12 champion or an undefeated, you know, insert um, group of five school here or a one-loss non-SEC champion? you know, an Alabama or a Georgia probably has Utah done enough at that point, <laughs> you know, do you, I don't know from a, I don't know if you if look from... at a, yeah. a, a comparable opponent and say, all right, well, Georgia Benson, Utah lost to them. Georgia gets a nod. Yeah. It, it's a game that, you know, I, I think three months down the road, we're going to be looking at and saying, man, the PAC 12 needed that one.
0: Yeah. And, and we knew that going in and they, came up well short. It's also worthy of note, no team in the Pac-12 has ever gone undefeated in the nine-game conference slate. Utah was 8-1 and one a season ago. Maybe they can one-up that, but the last Pac team to be undefeated conference play was Oregon in 2010, and that's before you added Utah and Colorado, and no one has done it since the Utes' closest uh, a season ago. Speaking of Oregon, my goodness, that was ugly. We're going to talk about that and what it means for the reputation of the conference after I tell you about Built Bars. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Are you ready? Delicious, indulgent, Cookie dough. We all love cookie dough. They're better than the actual cookies half the time, maybe more. Covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it, plus it's healthy for you. 160 calories, a whopping 15 grams of protein. It's like eating a dessert, but then you get all the nutritional value of a protein bar. Go to built.com to get yours today. Use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at built.com. Again, that's code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Carter, let's flip over to Oregon. And no one expected them to win this game. I didn't expect them to win this game, but I expected them to do more than that. It was, how many ways to Sunday can we say rocky, rough, bad, unfortunate, not ideal, suboptimal, not what you were looking for sort of start for Dan Lanning in Eugene? It's one game, and yes, you shouldn't overreact to it, but... Again, go back to how the conference is now viewed after the first weekend of college football here in 2022. Utah loses a game that they should have won. And Oregon is non-competitive in a game that they shouldn't have won. But they should have been able to at least been competitive for a half. And it was really never close. Georgia moved the ball at will. Oregon's defense couldn't get off the field. The offense for the Ducks moved the ball the first couple of possessions, but then struggled after that, and they were never able to get into the end zone. I mean, that's just a bad look overall. I I think the Utah one was a little worse because they were favored, but Oregon did not do the Pac-12 any favors from a reputation standpoint, just not even looking like they showed up ready to play.
1: It was, dare I say, worse than all of those adjectives you just rattled off. I mean... (laughs) no nobody expected georgia or oregon to win this game i don't think a lot of people even really expected it to be like you know close but i don't 46 point win you know outside no. of georgia circles I, i'm sure georgia fans said oh pack 12 team yeah let's go but no 46 points was um was outside of the realm of prediction i i think for for most people and you know, look, it Oregon's probably still going to be the best team in what used to be the North. It's probably still going to compete for a Pac-12 title. But I have less confidence in saying that now than I did before it went down to Atlanta. And yeah, I think too. Oregon will probably be fine. But it shouldn't be six points. If If Oregon yeah. wants to have a good season it has to put up more of a fight than that against Georgia. I I think to have any confidence in saying that it will bounce back and and win nine games this year. Um, I I don't think you can go down there and lay an egg offensively, let Georgia score on its first seven drive. Yeah, I think we're going to be a pretty good team this year. Because after that, man, is six and six as likely as nine and three? Like, yeah, probably.
0: And it's going to be a real test for Dan Lanning and the staff who are in their first year. That was their first game. And there was a talent mismatch that Kirby Smart alluded to. I think he was certainly correct. The recruiting rankings and composite ratings of uh, every service that you look at would indicate as much. But I, I think what was left out of that comment was it was a coaching mismatch as well. Like Georgia had the better roster top to bottom, but also... Dan Landing and that staff in their first game, they got out coached. Now, it's their first game, and Oregon fans sur- surely remember Chip Kelly's first game. Got out coached because they, they certainly weren't out recruited by Boise State even at the time. Like they had the players to win that game, but they got out coached, and it can take time to get it, your feet under you like that. Um, but that should have been a more competitive game. You, you had a couple weeks to prepare. Oregon is not as talented as Georgia, but they're not lacking for NFL bodies. I mean, defensively, you've got probably four guys who are going to be playing on on Sundays after this season. Your two linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. Now, Flo just hasn't played a lot of football, and he's physically gifted, but he looked very just undisciplined as a player. He was just kind of you know a hammer in search of a nail, and he was not always remembering that assignments matter in defensive schemes. Noah Sewell will play on Sundays. Christian Gonzalez probably gets drafted after this year. And then Brandon Dorless is maybe a mid to late round guy, but certainly that caliber of, of player. And if you have at least that amount of talent, and then you look at the way Oregon's recruited the last few years, it shouldn't have been that bad. It was it's still not on Georgia's level. There was a gap, but if you're gonna allow I mean, you shouldn't allow 49 points to the Bulldogs, and they pulled their offense before, you know, it it actually got worse. So it could have been even worse than that. It should have been a little bit. It should have been a little bit better. It should have been 38 to 17 or 38 to 20. You know, and Oregon's hanging around for the first half. I think that was a reasonable expectation. My score prediction was 34-20. Obviously, that was way, way off. And it, you know, it's it's a disappointing start for Landing and the staff. But now it's about the sort of resilience that they can instill in their team going forward. Because, like you said. You have nothing to feel good about. I mean, literally nothing. There is nothing positive to draw from that particular game other than maybe the Ducks ran for four and a half yards of carry. That's a good sign. That That's literally the only thing you could look at and go, yeah, that went well, literally nothing else. Let's go to some positives now, because that's enough negativity about the Pac-12. It wasn't all bad this weekend. It wasn't all bad. It was mostly bad, but it wasn't entirely bad. And I'll, I'll tee you up here, Carter. You cover the beeves. You follow this team. You and I came on here before the season and said, five and a half wins. Boy, that's really low. I had them at eight and four. Man, they looked like a 10-win team against Boise State because that, not exactly on the Georgia to Oregon level, but that was the same sort of vibe where they controlled the game from the start. The offense was clicking. Trent Bray got off to a – could you get off to a better start as, as a new full-time defensive coordinator? What did you
1: see from the beefs? I saw a defense that forced five turnovers, four of those coming in the first half, three of those chasing Hank Bachmeyer, a veteran quarterback who I think was expected to take the next step and become one of the best quarterbacks in the Mountain West, Uh, if not, you know, all of West Coast college football, uh, you know, that defense forced him out of the game for a redshirt freshman after a quarter of play. It's a defense that allowed about 300 yards total um, outside of a 74 yard scramble a quarterback on a broken play it allowed 50 yards it just flew around (laughs) you know it's I've been hyping up this defense under Trent Bray all offseason saying how it's revitalized how it's playing with energy uh, how it's finally able to go out and just do what it's supposed to do and that's exactly what we saw It, it lived up to the billing the door on Boise State right away um, I know that Boise State kind of clawed back, scored 17 unanswered in the in the second half. But even then, you know, it's it's still a 10 point game. And and what Oregon State had done to that point, yeah, Boise State still like it. It wasn't in that game. Game was ever in question. And and for Oregon State to build a 24 nothing lead at halftime, um, for Chance Nolan to go out there and and really show off his improvement on the deep ball, he had two long touchdown passes in the first quarter. All of those pieces combined, I think showed you flashes of what this, to your point, if Oregon State plays like that all year, I think nine wins is like, I I think that is seriously a real possibility. And that's saying a lot considering this team was picked to win or, you know, Vegas had them as a, a five and a half win team.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing about that number is it could be your classic example of a team that's a relatively smaller school and – doesn't have a, a ton of, of national recognition or attention on it just being undervalued because the odds makers aren't putting as much attention into it because the Pac-12 media picked them to finish fifth, which is where I had them in uh, in a preseason power ranking sort of situation like that behind uh, Utah, USC, Oregon, UCLA. And then Oregon state was right there. And the Beavs certainly looked better than UCLA did over the weekend. They figured it out in the second half, but they were, trailing to Bowling Green at home. And that's certainly not what you should have if uh, if you're the Bruins. But their defense uh, eventually put the clamps down on uh, the Falcons there. Let's talk about that guy, Chance Nolan, who I listed as one of the five most impactful quarterbacks with relation to his team's success this year. You know, I didn't have a player like uh, Caleb Williams or uh, Bo Nix on there, because I think regardless of how those guys play, yeah, it's going to affect how many games their, their team wins, but Nolan could be you know, such a wild card because of the inconsistencies we saw a season ago. That was crisp, explosive, solid. He, he dealt with a couple drops too, but he did well from a leadership standpoint to keep the offense moving forward after those drops. I was really impressed with him. And if that's the sort of Nolan that Oregon state's going to have for nine to 10 games this year, then they will at least get to the eight win prediction. I had a man prior to the year. And like you said, I could very easily see nine, but we'll we'll see if he's able to do it again in week two here at Fresno state on the road and not in the comfy confines of a remodeling research stadium. But that was a really good start for chance. Nolan.
1: Yeah. I I think this team will go as far as the defense takes it this year and, Yesterday was the defense that that led the way. I, I think the defense won that game for Oregon State. But it needs to get more consistent play out of chance, null to its potential. And like you just said, his inconsistencies last year were, were concerning. And I think a part of the reason why Oregon State's floor was probably five wins this year. Um, but he truly did show improvement in week one. And it was... He, for whatever reason, it doesn't show up in practice fall camp. I said, this guy's probably second or third string came out and, you know, was a starter for 11 games this year. I was like, ah, man, I'm not sold on him showing improvements. Week one proves me wrong. There was a couple of deep touchdowns should have had another of the Harrison. They were, Harrison dimes. Could hold they the were
0: dimes too. These were not wide open, you know, flea flicker blown coverages. These were, you know, guys had a step, maybe a step and a half and he's yeah. Dropping in the bread basket, fifty to sixty yards down the
1: field. Yeah, Boise State was really selling out on the run, and and to its credit, slowed Oregon State down on the ground. We know that Oregon State's run game last year was one of the best in the in the Pac-12 offensive line. I think still is is probably projected to be one of the best in the Pac-12, if not the best overall. Mm-hmm. Um, it struggled because Boise State had nine guys in the box. And and that's why Nolan had the opportunity to throw to guys downfield so often. It's because Boise State was selling out on the run. But, but to Oregon State's credit there, Chance is giving you, and it's not a given that Chance Nolan is going to put the ball on the money and capitalize on those big plays that Boise State's giving you the potential to to capitalize on. In half of the games last year, he wouldn't have done that. Uh, and so I think the fact that you saw it in week one, uh, that's that's a good sign. Oregon State could come out next week and lay lay an egg on the road at Fresno State. Would I even be remotely surprised if that happened? No. I picked Oregon State to lose to Fresno State when I did my season-long pro- projections. And Oregon State, what do you know, opened today as a one-and-a-half-point underdog on the road. It's a tough matchup. I think I, I think it does match up well in that Fresno State's strength is going to be its passing game this year, and Oregon State's defensive strength is its secondary. Um, but Jayden still yeah. Grant, man, that yeah. dude was balling.
0: That dude was balling. Yeah. Rajon Wright had a pick, but Jaden Grant was the guy was everywhere on the
1: field. Yeah. If if Oregon, this before the season started, if Oregon State can go three and O in that non-conference schedule, nine wins is a possibility for this team. I, I think the conference schedule lines up very well for it outside of the first two games where it gets USC at home and then goes to Utah. I didn't expect Oregon state to win more than two or three games out of its first goes three and Oh, and non-conference and it's off to a good start in doing so this team could seriously make a lot of noise.
0: Yeah. It'll be about, you know, how chance Nolan can play again. Right. I mean, if you get that chance, Nolan, that's an eight to nine win team in the PAC 12 this year. If you like overall, not not saying in the in the conference schedule necessarily, but the thing that you mentioned about, you know, Boise State took away the run and they were loading up the box. That's when Nolan has to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. Is he delivered and Boise State clearly had a defensive game plan of we are going to go into this and make Chance Nolan beat us. And he did. And I doubt that that'll be the last time a defensive staff takes that approach because of the way Oregon State's capable of running the ball. And the question will be, can Nolan continue to perform at that level or 80, 90% of it? I think that'll be very determinative of of Oregon State's success this year, but an excellent start. Uh, We cannot leave this show today without talking about probably the biggest surprise and pleasant surprise of the weekend, the Arizona Wildcats. 38-20 as a a six-and-a-half-point underdog against San Diego State. So another Mountain West victory for uh, the Pac-12, which, look, is it telling that the Pac-12 can't beat the SEC and is celebrating Pac-12 wins? Yes. But you're just trying to make baby steps here, and a year ago, Mountain West wins were no guarantee, and they're not a guarantee this year ever, and that conference continues to get better and deeper. And that was not just a win. That was a game that Arizona controlled, and we haven't seen the Wildcats do that. I mean, this is unquestionably the biggest win of Jed Fish's tenure. I, I know the first one was uh, exciting and everything, but Cal had some limit, limitations for players. They were traveling. But the newcomers that we've been talking about offseason here on the show, Jaden DeLora, Ted McMillan, the highest rated recruit in Arizona football history, Jacob Cowing, the wide receiver transfer, they all showed up and played well. I mean, this is just a perception changer because... Arizona didn't scrape out a win with a ball that bounced three times and ended up in the hands of a receiver and he ran for 50 yards and a touchdown. This was a game that Arizona came out and they were just a better football team than San Diego State from the get-go. And that was a really great
1: thing to see for Wildcats fans. I have to laugh there because, I mean, you, you say this is Jed Fish's biggest win. Well, it doesn't have to be a huge win because it only has to edge out last year's win against California. i mean this is <laughs> yeah this is, true. This, this is his second win as the head coach football program but i think back to where oregon state was in 2018 and man that win against colorado you know where it it looked like okay oregon state might be kind of breaking through a little bit here um i got those vibes from this win for arizona you just, you need to have a statement win. you need to win a game where people aren't yes. necessarily expecting it for you to say, all right, that is tangible progress in this rebuild because last year, I don't think anyone was like particularly shocked that Arizona beat a Cal team that was out with like 50% of its team because of COVID. I think starters were out. Like if Arizona was going to win a game last year, it was either Northern Arizona, which it didn't or Cal without half of its team. Um, and, and. I think looking at the model that Oregon state followed, you need a game that you go in and you win and say, wow, okay, we didn't expect this team to win considering where it's at in its rebuilding process. And that's what Arizona did yesterday, beating San Diego state by 18 points.
0: Yeah. A a statement win is the best way to put it. I mean, that game was played on CBS. So you had a good amount of people watching And that was that was can we just
1: appreciate that Arizona, San Diego State was on CBS?
0: Yeah, I (laughs) know. I didn't see that one coming either. But again, props to the Wildcats for taking advantage of that opportunity. Now, I've gotten a lot of messages from Arizona fans, and look, I'm I'm never going to be super bitter when I'm wrong about stuff. I'll be wrong about things all the time here on the show. I'll be right about things all the time. It's kind of the nature of of, uh, show hosting. But a couple Arizona fans want to know if my perception of them and whether my schedule prediction would change. My instinct is yes, because it was such an impressive win. Not just the fact they won, but how they won. It was very impressive. But I want to see this Mississippi State game First, I want to see how they fare against maybe that will be the Pac-12's low win against the SEC, Arizona against Mississippi State. We would take it at this point, but it's always important to not overreact to week one. I am not trying to rain on Arizona's parade. I am so happy for Wildcat fans because they have been so bad for so long and it's just miserable. And I think it's the Seattle Mariner fan in me. It is in my DNA to empathize with teams and programs that are bad for a long period of time. It sucks, and we all know it sucks, none more so than the Mariners, who look really good, by the way. But the Wildcats, I think, have got to show, if, if they are competitive with Mississippi State all throughout the game, then I'll look and go, yeah, that could be a 5-7 win team, maybe. But I think that's going to be a barometer, right? Because now that you've made this statement, if you're Arizona and Jed Fish, you've got to go out and show it wasn't a fluke, that it wasn't a day that San Diego State was just off with or, uh, you know, anything else. It can't be a a one-off, right? You've got to show it when you've won two games over the last three seasons, essentially in 2020's half a year. But you got to show it more than one week at a time.
1: But man, that's a good start. Seven wins, huh? Okay. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, that's I'm, like, that's here. Okay. I came on, I, I think it was this show. It, it could have been, you know, Beaver Bliss's podcast too. It, it was, it was some show. And I think it was this one before the season. I said, Arizona is not the worst team in the Pac-12 this year.
0: I so, never thought, wait. I never thought that. No, I, 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 I looked at their, where they were over on a win total. I said, two and a half, give me the over. Man, that's off to a good start. Cause now I feel more confident about them beating North Dakota State.
1: Yeah. I I said, if there is a really, really bad team, it's going to be Colorado. Um, You know, it it could be Cal even, but it's not going to be Arizona after how hard the Wildcats played for Jed Fish last year in his first year, after the off season, that program had recruiting wise. I mean, you got to remember some of those guys are coming in as true freshmen right now and are probably going to be better than some Um, everything over the last 12 months led me to believe that Arizona was priming itself for a pretty quick rebuild. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect when they hired Jed fish and it, it certainly wasn't this. Um, but no, I I said, Arizona is not going to be the winner. it might only win three games, but it's going to take a step forward. And I think an 18 point win over a solid mountain West team in week on one. the road on, on the road. In I mean, the that, first was, game that was at a new stadium. Yeah, that was unimaginable,
0: unthinkable, impossible yeah. a year ago. Yeah. And then it, and then it just, and then it just happened. I just that was the that was the biggest surprise to me of the weekend, even more so than the disappointments that we started off uh, talking the show about when I uh, you know, I, I was working on Saturday and I looked at the scores and I saw they were up big in the fourth quarter and my eyes popped like a cartoon character. Eyeballs coming straight out of the sockets. You know, I mean, it was just a welcome sight. And Jed Fish and that entire Arizona staff and the administration, they're hyping up this game against Mississippi State as they should. And they got to sell it out. And Wildcat fans, if you're watching, get to Tucson. Get to Tucson. Go to that game. If Jed Fish... Think about this. I've said for weeks on the show, Oregon State starts 3-0. They could be getting at least top 25 votes, maybe even get into it. If Arizona beats San Diego state and Mississippi state, and then tops off with a win against North Dakota state to be three, you know, they could be in that category. That's so, I hadn't even thought about that because I really did not think they were going to be ready to beat San Diego state or Mississippi state yet. We will have to see. We'll end it there for the day. Might have to bring Carter Baines back later in the week. Senior editor and writer at beaverblitz.com. Every week in college football just brings you more storylines for the next one, and we will continue to cover them. But Oregon State and Arizona, the biggest winners this week in the Pac-12. Carter, it is great to talk to you as always, my man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we have real football to talk about. Yes. Yes, indeed. Even if it's not the football we want to see in our (laughs) beloved Conference of Champions. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.